0: Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts.
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women podcast. Thank you for tuning in from across Canada and so many other countries like USA, UK, Australia, Vietnam, and many other places. It's great to have all of you joining us we are inspiring important conversations with the unafraid it's so great to hear from you we want our fearless community to grow so tell your friends and follow us on instagram i'm very excited to have this next guest on the show as you know my best-selling book fearless girls with dreams women with vision is about authentic stories from women in canada and elsewhere Telling our stories matter so much. And my next guest is all about transforming Canada through the performing arts. I'm talking about Jane Watson. She's the CEO of the National Arts Centre Foundation. It raises funds to support the NAC's work in performance, creation, and learning across Canada. Since its founding in 2000, the National Arts Centre Foundation has raised over $150 million to enrich the lives of Canadians through the performing arts and champion our country's artists, students, and educators. So glad to have you on the show today. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Janice. Delighted to be here. So the pandemic has certainly impacted the performing arts, not only in Canada, but everywhere in a real way. Can you tell us about your role and why you love it, even during these unprecedented times?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it started as a young person. I was very lucky that my parents, you know, exposed us to uh, music and art and piano lessons. I sang in a choir. I acted in school plays. I just loved music and, and theater and dance. And so, you know, I had a, a lifelong love of the arts and the opportunity to work at the National Arts Centre was really a dream come true, and despite, as you said, these days, I mean, it's challenging for everyone, and it's it's challenging for artists, it's challenging for us as an institution, it's challenging for artists individually who overnight saw their livelihoods and their lives upended uh, with the, you know, the ban on public gatherings. Uh, so, it, you know, the fact that I get to work now and with, you know, smart and creative people trying to figure our way through some of this, you know, is a challenge I hadn't anticipated, but it is one of the reasons why it's such a great job. I, I get to work with really smart, creative people and I get to help put great art on uh, stages at the National Arts Centre, but also um, help as a catalyst for some really wonderful work that happens across Canada as well. And so
1: you're talking about the creativity and innovation that's required, particularly now. I mean, you're always creative and and innovating, but how has the NAC actually and and your foundation had to pivot because of COVID-19 and kind of the innovative things that are either in play right now or on the
2: horizon? Right. Well, overnight, uh, Janice, we, we had to become, the NAC had to become a, a digital company almost overnight. I mean, we were in the, everybody's got a website and everybody does things, you know, using social media, et cetera. But, I really have to give a lot of credit to a brilliant woman colleague that I work with, Heather Gibson, who is our producer of music and popular music and variety. And within about a week after COVID shut down all live performing arts venues across Canada, Heather collaborated with Facebook to come up with a project and an idea called hashtag Canada Performs. And it basically was an emergency relief fund to pay Canadian artists to perform a gig out of their bedroom, basement, whatever, while they were home. And she came to the foundation and said, you know, do you think we can raise some money so that we can pay some artists to perform because they've lost their um, their livelihoods overnight. So we immediately went into action to respond to this great programming idea of Canada Performs. And Facebook had come to the table. Um, we went to RBC. We went to the Slate Family Foundation. XM, a bunch of people came together to give us over $700,000 so that we could basically put that money into the hands of artists overnight. So we put up, uh, and the NAC and, and Heather produced, Canada Performs, more than 700 artists performed. They were paid, and the wonderful thing is that not only did they get to do their art live, they also, because of Facebook and the uh, the sort of amplifying effect of Facebook and being on online, uh, some of these artists were seen multiple hundreds of thousands of times. And in fact, by the end of the program, it had garnered more than five million views of these Canadian artists all around the world. So. We're really proud of what the National Arts Centre did in very short order to pivot to become a digital company with something like Canada Performs. And the foundation was delighted to support that. And, and we're really grateful to our sponsors and, and donors who stepped up to make Canada Perform happen.
1: And we know the exposure to and the enjoyment of the arts, you know, it, it can excite, provoke, soothe, inspire, you know, it's it's like nothing else. And when we think of the arts in Canada and the seven hundred artists that uh, had this you know, unique opportunity, but you know, our, and and beyond our whole arts community, why is it, in your view, that the arts are more important than ever? And particularly the Canadian
2: perspective, why is it so needed? Well, you know, the expression "the world needs more Canada," the world needs more Canadian artists uh, on our stages, but also on stages the world over there's sort of a truism that we we say that Canada is a hockey nation but you know Canada is really an arts nation and if you go to berlin or or budapest or you know anywhere in the world and you ask people what what do they know about Canada and with all due respect to our politicians and our business leaders those names aren't the names that spring to mind internationally when you think about Canada You think about artists I mean you think about whether it was Oscar Peterson or whether it's Arcade Fire or whether it's uh, Ryan Reynolds or Sandra Oh I mean you think of our artists are our greatest ambassadors and so we really are an arts nation and there was a survey done I think it was MIT and they did some weird algorithm that they looked up to try to figure out like who the most famous people were from a whole series of different countries and when they came up with the sort of top 10 list of all these different countries of, of most famous people Canada was the only one where all the 10 top most famous people known around the world from a particular country Canada was the only one where our list was comprised of all artists and so wow. that's something pretty pretty amazing and you know Canadian perspective i mean we we straddle right we live Next door to the big elephant, Um, we've seen how, you know, in particular in COVID, that sort of chaos uh, south of the border, how Canada, you know, no matter what your political standing, you know, we've done a pretty good job in terms of responding to this. And we set a good example. And so our artists are our storytellers. They tell stories that inspire us, that move us, that challenge us. We need to be challenged. We continue to need to be challenged. And art is a great way to have that conversation. So the National Arts Center's job is to help bring those powerful stories and, and make space for a diversity of voices on the national stage. So it's it's really important. The arts are even more important during this challenging period in my view.
1: So Jane, there's been so many amazing performances, you've had the opportunity to uh, see anything that uh, you think is of particular significance to you, something that resonated very, I mean, I know (laughs) there's so many incredible ones, but something that you want to say or draw attention to for people to consider.
2: Um, I mean, I guess a couple. I mean, in recent experience, I was really privileged to see a number of times a big, bold, ambitious work that the National Arts Centre Orchestra did under the leadership of Alexander Shelley called Life Reflected. And it was the story of four Canadian women set to um, music and images And it toured across Canada in 2017, and it told the story of these four women through um, visual elements on stage, uh, film, dance, and then, of course, the great, wonderful orchestra that we have, you know, one of Canada's cultural jewels the NAC orchestra so telling stories of women in a contemporary fashion with large-scale staging was was really powerful and amazing so that was that was something I was really privileged to be a small part of in terms of fundraising for it but then seeing it come to life was um, pretty amazing
1: so when you think about um, books and I know you're an avid reader what book Mm -hmm. do you wish you'd read earlier in your life if any is there
2: one that is there one that stands out for you I wish I'd read investing for dummies and, you know, buy (laughs) Shopify when it was like $20. (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah, I know. I wish I'd had, frankly, more financial sort of grounding. So I'm not kind of kidding, investing for dummies. So that would have been something that I wish I'd taken earlier on in in life, you know, having a good grounding in finance and and those kinds of things. But uh, I've had to sort of make it up as I go along and self train, so to speak.
1: (laughs) Well, you're certainly a fine steward of the (laughs) NAC's money, so I think uh, you're being very modest. What about right now? What are you reading right now?
2: Oh, well, I'm just plowing through the third novel of a trilogy that a great English writer, Hilary Mantel, did on um, Thomas Cromwell, who was basically the world's first sort of bureaucrat. He was the... uh, A right-hand man to uh, Henry VIII and and got him out of a lot of troubles, uh, out of wives (laughs) and marriages and relationships, but it's a fascinating you know, the first two books uh, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies both won the Booker Prize and um, this third one is fascinating it's a brick, it's like 800 pages or something so I'm just, (laughs) just, just, you know, I've got the time now, so I'm reading that and I also just, yeah, and I just finished I think it's Larson, I think it's Eric Larson, oh yes great, um, not a novelist, but, you know, looking at historical chapters and, and uh, his book on the London Blitz told through diaries and um, perspectives of people who lived through that. And I guess it's good to read something like that in, during this time because we realize, you know, we think we have challenges, but, you know, we're not being blitzed on a daily basis. So uh, it was good to have some perspectives um, reading that book.
1: And you, Jane, have had people in your family who have served, so I'm sure it's even more relevant.
2: Yeah, I know. Absolutely. My dad was in the, um, uh, served in the Canadian Army in the uh, Second World War and was part of the liberation of the Netherlands and he was in London for part of the Blitz. Well, so
1: clearly a a fearless father. What about a time yeah. you were fearless, Jane? What comes
2: to mind when you think of that? Well, you know, there are a couple of things, you know, I think I was fearless as a result of a decision that my mother took when I was very young, we grew up in small town Quebec and my mother was a French teacher. My father was an Anglophone. My mother was an Anglophone, but she was self-taught, but um, you know, spoke perfect French and uh, was a French teacher. And this was way before there was anything known as French immersion. But my mother took the rather fearless decision and um, put me in an all French girls school when I was seven, I think, so grade two. And I didn't, really speak the language. I can remember going into the class and not having a clue. Everything was just kind of like white noise. And, um, (laughs) uh, you know, when you're a kid, right, it doesn't take very long. So by, by Christmas, you're speaking the language fluently. And that was a wonderful decision, foresight on the part of my mother, because being able to speak French over the you know, my career and just the opportunities to be able to speak our other official language has been so advantageous and, and wonderful. So I think that was a fearless decision she took. And I guess I was too young to know any different, but um, that was a very early example. And I think another fearless decision was when um, a great mentor of mine, Peter Herndorf, the former CEO of the National Arts Center, asked me to move over to run the foundation I had been working at the NAC as a head of uh, public affairs and communications and Peter said you know I'd really like you to take on this job and I was like no no I can't do that I, uh, <laughs> I've i never you know a typical um, way that right. a woman often thinks and so I said nope I don't think I can do this job and he said I know you can and, and these are the reasons why so I was held back in part because I thought I didn't really grow up in the fundraising world you know I don't have the background in it do I have the technical skills blah 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 so he can convinced me that it was uh, it was a good fit, and there was highly transferable skills between what I had been doing and, and the fundraising job. And so, um, you know, I took that leap to get into the fundraising game, and, and it really has been the best professional experience of my of my career. And um, I'll always be grateful to Peter for uh, pushing me to be fearless.
1: Yeah, which is such a beautiful example, also of when you have a champion in your corner. You know what mm-hmm. what a difference that can make. It like can change the whole direction and thank you for sharing sort of even your own you know the the feeling of maybe but maybe not because you know champions are important and uh, i talk to many women leaders who will often say it's someone else who saw their skills in their full beauty and power and maybe sometimes were too modest
2: yeah absolutely and i you know that's why i really think it's incumbent upon all of us who have positions of some degree of influence to, you know, make sure that we pay it forward in terms of identifying. And I certainly have tried over my career to, you know, uh, women in particular, to mentor them to say, you know, you can do this. I know you can do it. And there's been a couple of examples where I've seen the capacity and the skill set of people in jobs that maybe didn't see themselves moving up and over from, let's say, an admin job into a more management job. And so, I've really taken a lot of pride in the fact that I'm, I'm able to sometimes help people identify for themselves, women in particular, uh, that they have the skill set, that they can do it, and they just need that push. They need that vote of confidence.
1: Mm-hmm. Sign of a great leader. So we're grateful for that, mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. Jane, tell me this. What's something you've done once that you will absolutely never do again?
2: <laughs> uh, make a TikTok video. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, my, my, my daughter, you know,
2: when it, yeah, one and done, that's not, yeah, that's like really never going to happen again. <laughs> now, w- was it you and your two daughters or like, what was uh, no, the, it? was. it was just me. Family like, thing? Was, uh, no, it was just me. There might have been some wine involved at a cottage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Don't okay, worry, it's so no that... longer there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you've solved that problem. That's right.
2: right.
1: (laughs) What's the best piece of advice you've ever received, Jane?
2: Um, You know, I think it crosses all professional boundaries in terms of um, applicable, I think in any profession, speak less, listen more. You know, it was someone, it was actually, I think, I'm pretty sure that um, it was a volunteer chair that we had at the National Arts Centre on our board, a volunteer director, and her advice was that when you're in fundraising, that dead air is actually okay. You know, you can you can make your pitch, and then you need to listen, and you need to make time to listen, because sometimes... People need to sort of absorb what they are hearing from you. And, you know, you can get a lot back actually in the quiet time. And obviously listening when you're in fundraising, listening to what the donor has to say and how they respond to your ideas. It's really, really essential and, and critical to being a good fundraiser. So, but I think it has applications beyond the fundraising world. If the world were more sensitive and, and listen more and didn't speak or in, in many cases in today's society yell at each other, we'd be better off.
1: Yeah, because making space, right, for other people and other points of view. And I love Mm -hmm. that point that you mentioned about just the silence isn't problematic necessarily. No,
2: no, no, absolutely.
1: So what about criticism? Because as a leader and as the the CEO of the NAC, Mm -hmm. you can at times perhaps attract it whether you want it or not. But how do you Mm -hmm. handle it? Mm-hmm. Do you have a strategy, any approach?
2: You know, it's interesting because you can be, as a leader, as you say, whether you're in a C-suite or you're in the head of a volunteer organization or anything, you you can be isolated a bit in terms of that criticism. And so I encourage it. And, and certainly people, and I have, you know, people who work for me who um, have shared their perspectives on things that I could have done better. And I really welcome that particularly from the people that I work with who I really respect hearing it unvarnished is a good thing. Uh, I'd rather hear it than not hear it and have it sort of percolating in the background. So I take it as a learning opportunity. Yes, you're right. You know, maybe I I was too quick to decide this or I should have taken into account another perspective. So I definitely take it, you know, I take it as a learning opportunity and try to uh, try to be better. So people can get isolated. Of course, there's criticism, social media, whatever, but it takes a lot of guts for someone to speak up to someone they report to, to share feedback, criticism, whatever. And so I I think it's brave to do that. And I think it's worth listening to what people have to say and learning from it.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. When I think about, you know, the idea of speaking up around the boardroom table too, and as you mentioned, you have a very powerful and influential board, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to people who maybe they're attending their first board meeting, they're kind of earlier on in their career, anything you can suggest around how to find their voice or use their moment or moments?
2: Well, I think uh, it goes back a little bit to what I'd said earlier, Janice, that listening, taking in, reading the room and having something to say uh, I think is important. People do want to hear from new perspectives, and particularly now where we're seeing such a lack of diversity in, in boardrooms and in organizations that we do want to hear from new voices and new perspectives. So, if you have something to say, say it in a respectful way. But I think today and and now is the time that we need to hear from new perspectives. So I would tell people not to be shy. You know, put up your hand and um, forge on ahead and and share your perspectives because we need to hear from. diversity of views
1: we definitely get to a better outcome don't we with Mm
2: -hmm.
1: with uh, new and fresh and but also to your point very diverse perspectives so networking is got to be at the heart of uh, what fundraisers do and certainly even though in the arts kind of in that broader sense where you hear about new and emerging artists and uh, you know it's it's such an important part Of uh, Mm -hmm. not only your role, but in one's career, networking is important. What's Mm -hmm. um, advice you could share about? strategies or, or approaches for those that want to improve their networking skills?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you've got to get out there and uh, it's easier said than done during the time of COVID, <laughs> yeah. obviously. But on the silver lining of that is that people aren't traveling. And some of the people you may want to connect with may actually be around. So don't be shy about asking for a Zoom meeting or a virtual coffee chat because people are are more likely to be home Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they might have the time to meet with you. So it's like looking for a job. Networking is, you know, you, nobody's going to come to your doorstep with a job. And the same thing applies to networking. You have to get out there. You have to be proactive. You have to use the connections you have, you know, the fr- mother's friend, the whatever. Like, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And you use those things. And I remember a couple of times with my own kids are like, oh, I don't, you know, do I really want to bother so and So It's like, you know what? People don't mind. I love it. When young people reach out to me, I've heard, do you know, can you give me some advice? I mean, it makes you feel relevant. It makes you feel uh, appreciated. So uh, don't be shy about asking people for help and advice because people like to do it. And um, that's what you need to do. You need to be proactive and you need to get out there. And even during this challenging time, don't give up, keep making those calls and making those zoom appointments.
1: That's so practical, Jane, because I think there can be a perception that uh, successful, busy people like yourself won't want to get that call or, you know, that request. And yet, to your point, you're happy to help. Oh, if absolutely. If you can, yeah. So I think yeah, that's yeah. A, a, a great thing uh, especially for ambitious younger people to keep in Mm -hmm. mind like ask and what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you can't help you'll probably point them in the direction of somebody else who might be able to exactly
2: exactly yeah
1: really really practical so thank you for sharing that you have the opportunity to go across our beautiful country and and have done so many many times uh final question what is your dream jane watson for canada
2: you know, I have to say that I look at it from the opportunity that I've had here at the National Arts Centre to work with so many talented Indigenous artists and leaders in the Indigenous field, like Rory Marshaw, who works with us at the National Arts Centre, Kevin Moring, the Artistic Director of Indigenous Theatre. And I think that Canada lives up to our commitment to Indigenous people, and that beyond, you know, the basics like clean water, safe housing, quality education, that Canadians grow to appreciate the history and contributions of Indigenous people, particularly their art and culture, which is so rich and wonderful. And, you know, that for me would be a real goal that we should set as a country. I mean, when I grew up, I didn't learn anything about Indigenous culture in school. You know, I had great schools. I went to you know, I went to public school, I went to a French school, I went to a boarding school. I didn't learn anything about Indigenous people. And I'm so fortunate now that I get to see their art coming to life at the National Art Centre and flourishing really in, uh, across Canada. So I think if we can live up to the commitment to Indigenous people, I think that would be a great accomplishment for Canada in the 21st century.
1: Beautiful dream for Canada and also uh, how exciting that in your role you're able to offer so much great exposure mm-hmm. to our amazing Indigenous artists. So mm-hmm. thank you for your leadership. You have been listening to the incredibly knowledgeable but also super inspiring Jane Watson. She's the CEO of the National Art Centre Foundation. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Jane. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Fearless Women's Podcast.
2: Thank you, Janice, and congratulations on your book and its bestseller status. Thanks for listening.
0: We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, BDC, Lockheed Martin, and Export Development Canada. Subscribe and Apple Podcasts are in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.